On today's Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, we're recapping UFC Vegas 59. We are also recapping week one of the PFL playoffs. And of course, we have fight announcements, most prominently our main event in Madison Square Garden has been finalized. All this and more, and it all starts right now. Welcome everyone to episode 228 of the show. This is of course the recap edition. It's Monday, kind of starting a brand new week here. We're deep into August at this point. There's no going back, Dom. The dog days of summer. We're heading straight to football season. How are you feeling? We got multiple MMA events this weekend. I mean, not to overlook the point of the show here. It's not a football show. It's MMA. We got two different cards this weekend. Uh, and I guess if you want to include contender series, that that was you know during the sure. week on Tuesday. I mean, I think it was a pretty pretty spectacular week across the board. Yeah, it was a great week to be an MMA fan. The PFL playoffs started. We had a UFC card for the second time in modern history. Ten fights, ten finishes, 100% finishes across the board. Uh, it was quite an amazing weekend. Contender Series was arguably the best episode in the show's history. It was a pretty damn good first week of August to be an MMA fight fan. I'll tell you that much. And the show just keeps on going because we've got more fights coming this weekend. But it's the recap show. We'll save the preview in for Thursday. But I'm excited. It was a great weekend, my friend. How was your weekend as we get saddled in here on this Monday? I want to ask you a question before I talk about my, and I appreciate you asking about how I'm doing, but I just want to ask, because I keep seeing the statistic thrown around about the, you know, finishing rate, how it's the second card, mm-hmm. modern history. I know why they put that distinction because, you know, the, the first few cards didn't even have you weren't allowed. rounds, <laughs> yeah. didn't have decisions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did see, like, do you think a no contest should count in, in that, in that like finishing rate? Um, like if a fight ends via no contest, like, like, like let's say the opening bout between Edgar and Bueno Silva ends in a no contest, which mm-hmm. I believe would have been the alternative if, if things didn't go right there. Would you still count it for like a hundred percent finish rate card? To me, as a fan, no. There's okay. an asterisk there, but for the UFC, they would probably definitely still say. 100% finishes across the board. Wait, wait, is that what happened with the other I card? I can tell you that's not correct. Because if you include no contest, there's actually multiple other cards ah. that would fit the bill. Okay. I saw, um, I can't remember if it was Kaposa or someone like that put it on Twitter. It was like UFC 40, which was uh, Tito Ortiz, Ken Shamrock the first time. Uh, I believe the Ultimate Fighter Season 5 finale. Uh, I think those were like the two. And then, of course, they brought up UFC 1, 2, 3, 4, 6. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well. This those is... don't count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I just was curious your thoughts. I, I, I would agree with you. So because of that, second in modern history. Of course, Michael Bisping on commentary, he was the main event of the yep. other card that uh, did that. That was actually his loss to Luke Rockhold. I think a lot of people forget that he, him and Luke Rockhold actually have both <laughs> I know. defeated each other. <laughs> We never got the trilogy. <laughs> and isn't it kind of funny that he did have that little shout out on the on the the broadcast? He did the conceive, believe, achieve thing. Did you did you catch that? I did not even hear that, but I'm glad yeah. he did. Yeah, I love of course. It. But uh, I'm doing good. Um, 
very solid, chill weekend. Weather was a little spotty. There was some rain yesterday. Yep. Um, so it was nice to kind of go sit out on the balcony. I like doing that when it rains. It's kind of peaceful. Oh, yeah. Just listen to it. I'm just an old man, guys. You know, I'm washed up, you know, low yeah. tea. I'm just sitting out there just minding my business, you know. Right, right. Just people watching. Like, there's this guy that just sat out in his truck for like an hour. Like, he pulled in and he was just on his phone for like an hour. And I'm like, why am I like watching this guy right now? <laughs> watching this guy. <laughs> But Dominic, you had a more exciting weekend. You were you were out uh, adventuring north. So tell yeah. everybody how it went. Of course, I'd already mentioned on here that you have graduated, even though this was more the official yeah. uh, ceremony. <clears throat> but you had already graduated with your master's degree. So you went up to our humble abode, uh, second humble abode, whatever you want to call it, to secure the bag, aka. As I don't know what the hell's going on outside my apartment. Right There's now. always something over there, Noah. <laughs> what's going on? Someone revving up a diesel engine? I don't know what's going on. But, um, Dominic, tell me how the weekend was and how does it feel to be just out, to be Master Dom now? Yeah, it was Dominic Slee MBA. I guess I don't know if that's a LinkedIn thing or not, but <laughs> it feels good because um, I had been done over a month ago, but it just never quite set in that I was done, but then we went up to BG, had the ceremony, got the diploma case because they mail you the actual diploma for those that don't know that. Someone is really having some fun out there. Dude, they are... They, <laughs> I, I swear Dominic Toretto from Fast and the Furious <laughs> just pulled in and then pulled out of my parking area. Anyways, Dom, yeah, continue. It, it's about family. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was surrounded by family and loved ones yesterday, so it, it was really good officially because in 2019 i thought i was ending my chapter with bg even though i worked there and whatnot but now the chapter with bg is officially closed um and it feels good so i love that place bowling green state will always have a special place in my heart as i I know it does for noah as well so it was a great weekend and now time for the next chapter noah so i'm excited for what the future holds yep insert kevin durant meme arms crossed (laughs) right right my next chapter. I did already yeah. put that on our social media a while True. back, but True. Uh, now everybody will be wondering when Dom makes his decision. Are you going to do a little video? Like you're going to have like three different company hats, and yeah. you're going to be like yeah. UFC, Bellator, PFL hat. I'm going to take. <laughs> be like I'm going with one championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's great, Dom. I'm so glad that you got to do the walk the second time. You got to really perfect it this time. You learned from your mistakes of the first walk. True, true. Didn't trip or anything like that. Was able to get a firm handshake. No wet fish or anything right. with Rodney Rogers. And yeah, I'll never know what that's like, but that's okay because <laughs> I chose not to. So. I'll shake your hand this Saturday and all will be right in the world. Yeah, there we go. There we go. So uh, with that, Dom, we're going to transition into... UFC Vegas 59. But first, we got to give a special shout out to Points Bet Sportsbook. That's right. The official betting partner of the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. Uh, we love Points Bet Sportsbook. We appreciate that they have uh, reached out to us and made us a, a partner with them moving forward. And with this partnership, we have a great offer for you, the listener or the viewer. Uh, if you go sign up for Points Bet Sportsbook right now, you can do so by either going to the link in the description of today's episode, 
or by simply downloading the PointsBet Sportsbook app. Mm-hmm. When you do so, you can use code MMAJOES. If you go to the link, it'll already be on there. But if you go by just simply downloading the app, you got to make sure you put in MMA Joe's at sign up. Points bet is going to 100% match up to $2,000 on your initial deposit. So it's free money. I don't see why you wouldn't do it. Uh, Just make sure you get that by putting in that code. Um, just really appreciate them and you guys for kind of allowing us to have that kind of that clout, if you will. And, right, right. Uh, yeah, happy betting. So with that, Dom, the main event, UFC Vegas 59, Jamal Hill, and what was his biggest matchup to date, is his biggest fight to date. We questioned on Thursday if this would truly be his biggest test. And Tiago Santos, who had really been on a skid as of late. Jamal Hill gets it done. He gets the TKO victory in round four. But now that we've seen the fight take place, do you feel like we really learned a lot about Jamal Hill here? Did Tiago Santos truly test Jamal Hill? I think so. I think Tiago definitely tested him much more than I thought so uh, that he was going to do coming into the fight. Tiago looked a lot more active and a lot more aggressive than we've seen him in recent bouts. Granted, he was still a bit passive, but definitely upped it when he needed to up it, and that really did throw some wrenches into the plans of Jamal Hill, but he weathered the storm. He weathered some pretty big shots his himself and landed back with authority, as he's known to do in his UFC career, got that TKO win in round four. Now, I remember saying on Thursday's preview I would be more impressed or getting Tiago Santos out early in rounds one or two would be more impressive than like a late round four or five finish. But I come to you on Monday thinking it was still pretty damn impressive just because when you really think about it, no one puts away Tiago Santos no matter the round. So I'm not taking anything away from it. I'm giving all the praise to Sweet Dreams Jamal Hill. Biggest win of his career, biggest night of his career. He's going to crash into that top six, top five contender kind of area of this light heavyweight division at 31 years old in his prime it was a win that he needed Noah were you impressed with the way that he performed with the way that he brought that dog out in order to get the win (laughs) yeah I don't see how you could say otherwise I don't see how you could say that you weren't impressed with what you saw from Jamal Hill here I could understand if some people maybe um, if you like thought Jamal Hill was truly like next champion this kind of performance against a guy like Tiago Santos, who is always a tough out, but has just not been having much success in any of his main events as of late. You may walk away from this fight and go, okay, Jamal still has some stuff to work on, but he's on his way. I mean, that's really at worst what you can say here. Now, I already coming in knew Jamal Hill is exceptional at what he does. He has great knockout power. Um, great size, length, and obviously athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as far as some of those other areas of his game, he's a little bit greener. You know, you saw Paul Craig be able to uh, kind of uh, expose that a little bit, and Jamal Hill's only loss. But uh, Jamal Hill has great takedown defense. He's, I mean, very just fluid at what he does, his movement, his combinations. Mm-hmm. They're all great. Um, And here against Tiago Santos, who had been a bit gun-shy in his last few performances, I thought we saw probably the best version we're going to get of Tiago Santos at this point in his career. 
I thought Tiago looked pretty good here. I mean, he even in, he started going for a lot of takedowns, um, which is not something we see from him normally. I think he understood the assignment <laughs> a little yeah. bit at times. But then sometimes he would get kind of caught up in the firefight. And, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, he was landing some big shots. I mean, shout out to Jamal Hill's chin, both guys' chin, really. But for Jamal Hill, I mean, he ate some pretty nasty just wild swings from Tiago Santos, who carries, like, I mean, unbelievable power. So this fight ended up being a lot more fun than I thought it was yeah. going to be going on. I mean, this fight really surprised me. That's a little bit of a hint for the Joeys, by the way. But this fight really surprised me. And the result didn't. Uh, Jamal Hill getting the finish. Like, if you just read that, I would be like, okay, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen. But we saw him go into the championship rounds. I thought he held up okay. Um, mm-hmm. It was a grueling kind of fight. And, you know, both guys seemed to be pretty tired at points. But then, like, in round four, I thought Jamal Hill and Tiago both looked somewhat refreshed. Yeah. Uh, at least more so than they were, like, at the halfway point of, like, round three. I was kind of like, oof, <clears throat> these guys are looking a little worse for wear right now. But... um I, I was very happy with what I saw from Jamal Hill. And even for Tiago Santos, it's a really tough loss. If anything, I mean, it's it's quite a dagger in yeah. some ways. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, he is just – he's going to be that guy. Even even if we don't see him in, like, a main event spot anymore, which we probably shouldn't. But who's to say, you know, if, if he – let's say, like, Jimmy Crute gets another win and then they put him up against Jimmy Crute. I think Tiago Santos could do a pretty – I think he would hold up very well against that that kind of guy. He like that gatekeeper role now for the top ten. Yeah, um, no shame in that. But uh, Jamal Hill, big things on the horizon, I do believe. Yeah, I, I would agree. And Tiago, you know, too, being that he's thirty eight, like you said, kind of what matchups do make sense? He can very much still be a problem for young up and coming guys um, to like get them to that top ten, or if they want to get in there. And two for Jamal Hill. I didn't even really bring this up on Thursday or think about it as a possibility, but takedown defense, relatively solid as well. Kind of held his all there because he hasn't really been tested in that realm outside of his fight with uh, Mr. Paul Craig. That's just an excuse to get the clip in here. But really, Paul Craig never really takes people down. He just pulls guard or does some crazy shit. That's so true. Jamal that Hill, even in that fight too. Yeah. So even if he did get taken down, he was able to get up quickly, but off and on had pretty good takedown defense as well. So he unexpectedly answered a few more questions that I didn't necessarily have coming into this fight that I would have had maybe in a different stylistic fight. So now I know that that is a part of his game that is there and that is competent enough to keep him safe on the feet as well. So just a lot of takeaways. Yeah, and then now for Jamal Hill, kind of what's next for him. One thing that he did not understand the assignment in was his call-outs. I think he... uh... I think he might have failed on the call-outs a little bit. He called for the champion, uh, Yuri Prohaska, and then Jan Blahovich. Uh, do you feel like either one of those fights is very realistic for him right now? Because I just don't think the lay of the land is in his favor. Yeah, if anything, while it was the biggest one in Jamal's career, it put him in kind of no man's land because we've already talked about the top of this division. Yuri Glover probably makes sense for the rematch, and then Jan Blahovich versus Magomed Ankalaev is a normal contender fight. Uh, then Rockets just blew his knee out. He can't fight. Anthony Smith has to have surgery on a broken ankle. He can't fight. And that is everyone now ahead of Jamal Hill. So he is in a bit of a weird spot where he may or may not be forced his hand into fight someone. 
that is ranked behind him. I mean, who is even in there right now? Dominic Reyes hasn't fought in a while. He's number seven. We're going to talk about Volkan Uzdemir later, so it won't be him. Maybe he welcomes back Dominic Reyes at the end of the year, Noah. I mean, that's like the only matchup that's going to make sense right Man, now. Poor Dominic Reyes, you know. that I just... I get what you're saying. It's like, who else? But, God, I, I would really prefer Dominic Reyes just, like, take a step back, pal. I mean, yeah. that's... I mean, he, he got pretty brutalized in back-to-back fights, and Jamal Hill may do some bad things to him unless he... I, and I, it's not to say Dominic Reyes is exceptional. It's just after what... I mean, the, after what Jan Blachowicz and Yuri Prohaska were able to do to him, the way they knocked him out... And, Really yeah. just made him a bloody mess. Give him like give Dom give a get Dominic Reyes in there with Paul Craig or something. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let it be someone who's who's gonna pull guard on him the whole time, you know. Yeah. But yeah. it does leave an interesting hole in here that like Jamal Hill just kind of is. Yeah, you're right. He's kind of a a man without a country right now in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, you know what could be next. Um, I think a lot of it depends if those matchups really get made the way we're kind of right. expecting them. Um, he may be out for a while then because of this, like unless he wants to take a fight with, you know, like a like a I don't know Ryan Span or, right. or Dustin Jacoby just got put in another matchup. I'm still waiting for Dustin Jacoby to get a chance into the top ten, but he's fighting an unranked guy next, so yeah, I don't know what the hell they're doing with Dustin, but. Um, I actually think Dustin Jacoby would be a great next opponent for Tiago Santos. I actually think that'd be a great. Yeah, uh, that fight. is a good fight. But again, Dustin Jacoby does have a matchup coming up. So, yeah, it's there's no real perfect answer here, I guess, Dom. Now let's talk about the co-main event of this card, Dom, because that was really the shocker here for me. I mean, I was surprised by the fight that we got in the main event, but I did not see this coming. Jeff Neal showing that he's still not only the real deal, but that he still has those hands of steel. Yeah. yeah. And he knocks out Vicente Luque in round three, face planted him. The first man to ever knock out Vicente Luque. Yeah. Dominic, the only question I can ask you here is, is, is Jeff Neal back? That sure looked like it. I mean, he's won two in a row, but the performance against Ponzinibbio, a bit forgettable. It was a very close fight that could have gone either way. This one, Jeff Neal put a stamp on this fight. The best, I think, undoubtedly, that we've seen him look over the course of a three-round fight for sure. His hands were just great. The power was there. The timing, the precision. I mean, that left hand was finding a home on Vicente Luque's head. It was like a huge target right there for Jeff Neal to hit. So it was a phenomenal performance. Um, Luque, I guess not the usual Vicente Luque, but I thought he won the second round. So really, it was more so Neal's was that good last night. His performance was that good. Um, And it was a huge win for him. He really put his name back into the hat after a lot of people probably wrote him off, probably even forgot about the hype that this guy once had and the talent that a lot of people felt he had, but he showed it. He showed it last night. He looked refreshed, rejuvenated, like he was a man on a mission. Um, and he just beat the number six guy in the world. And now he's going to catapult himself in much like Jamal Hill just did. Um, and you know, the thing for Jeff Neal though, 
there's a, a few more options for him at the top of this division, which plays out nicely for him. So I, I know you enjoyed the performance as well. You said you were surprised, but like to do this to Vicente Luque, Luke, Luke, Luke <laughs> says a lot, Noah, and I know you would agree with that. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I you were talking about people writing them off. I feel like I feel like you're looking at two guys who kind <laughs> yeah. of wrote them off. I mean, it, Jeff Neal, I, I not necessarily wrote him off. I just I was starting to believe there was a ceiling on Jeff Neal. Right. That like, okay, he's good, very good, yeah, but never going to be the guy. I like again. I think I even said this on Thursday. I'm like, do is he really the number six guy in the world? Like mm-hmm. at the time, we just didn't. Re- Nothing had told us since his out of the octagon issues where he I mean yeah. he nearly died and mixed that with just some in the octagon like performances that just weren't great, you know, the Steven Thompson fight, like he gave a valiant effort but really just got pieced up for five rounds. Then the Neil Magny one was even worse because he was like gun shy in that one and really yeah. just allowed Magny to outclench him and really control him the entire fight. He got back on track with Ponzinibbio, but you're kind of right. Sort of a forgettable fight between two high-level guys. It just the fight didn't really answer a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But here, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, you got to look at the opponent too, Vicente Luque. I thought Vicente Luque came in here looking more like the Luque who fought before Bilal Muhammad. You know, a lot of people yeah. were disappointed by the way he looked there. Here he looked ready for a for a scrap. I mean, he yes. in the early exchanges in round one, he was going for it. Yeah, it's just Jeff Neal hit him with that left hand, and he was like, "Oh shit!" Like that power is else. And yes. I mean, Jeff Neal just had the, the the timing, the the accuracy of that left hand was perfect. It was a hundred percent. I mean, every time he threw that left hand, it landed and it hurt Vicente Luque. Mm-hmm. And I mean. You're right. I thought Luke won round two as well. Apparently, all three judges scored for Jeff Neal. So, um, you know, I mean, it was probably a close round, but I yeah, guess it was compared to the compared to the first, where it was almost a ten eight for Neal. Maybe you just kind of hope that Luke gets that round. But um, this is the biggest one of Jeff Neal's career, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, the biggest one of his career. He is now a borderline top five guy in this welterweight division, which is kind of crazy to say, at least this quickly. You know, I thought it was a smart fight for Luke to take if he was going to come back as quickly as he was to fight mm-hmm. someone just a little lower in the rankings, you know, try to get his mojo back. And he ran into a guy who has improved a lot since the last time we saw him in December. Um, that's just the way it goes in the UFC, man. You, you know these top fifteen guys. You don't you don't get easy easy breaks a lot of times. So, um, as far as for for Luke or not, excuse me, as far as for Jeff Neal, he called out Gilbert Burns afterwards, which is actually a very interesting call out. Not just because Gilbert Burns is a guy who is kind of looking for a matchup, who is ranked a little bit above where Jeff Neal will presumably be come Tuesday. But also because he is like best friends, yeah, teammates, true. training partners with Vicente Luque. So much so those two have said they will never fight each other. Mm-hmm. Do you think Gilbert Burns may have a a bit of an itch to take this fight to try to avenge his fallen brethren? Absolutely. I think it was a perfect call out for Jeff Neal. I think it's a great fight that makes sense for Gilbert Burns because of the built-in storyline and for him to kind of bounce back and get a win. 
he's looking right now to fight Jorge Masvidal, but he said on Twitter, if that fight does not happen, I will fight Jeff Neal. And I think um, that that is a phenomenal fight stylistically. There's a lot of X's and O's that would make us very excited to break that fight down. Um, And just for the future of the division, it makes sense. Like there's not one bad thing you can say about that fight. You know, we go from the main event, not necessarily the best call out to a damn near perfect call out from Jeff Neal that Mm -hmm. makes all the sense in the world. And I absolutely 100% would love to see that fight next before the end of the year. Yeah, I think that's a great fight. I would love to see it happen before the end of the year, like December. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, if you want to throw it on November, I think you'll be upset. <laughs> yeah. Or it could be a fight night headliner. I mean, that's yeah. a great five-round fight, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely the fight I want to see. Yeah. I respect that Gilbert Burns wants the Masvidal fight. I'm actually surprised that he was so um, into the idea of it because pay-wise – Masvidal fight's going to attract a little right. bit more. But I do think <laughs> I do think with Masvidal and uh, Colby's legal proceedings, you probably won't be seeing either of those two guys fight for a while. So yeah. um, probably a good move, I think. I think that's a great fight. Yes. Um, don't have really anything in mind for Vicente Luque next, but I do want to ask you, with back-to-back losses and, you know, just the way it's happened, right, the Blau fight, it was a big opportunity. It was his first main event, and he sort of, you know, dropped an egg a little bit. It was a little bit of a dud in terms of his performance there. And then here, while he maybe looked like more of that classic Luke in terms of his style, he got knocked out. And that's the yeah. first time we've seen him do that. Is there cause for concern here with uh, Vicente Luque and these back-to-back losses, or is that reading too much into it? I think right now, maybe just a little bit too much. Not that's borderline. Like let's let's get a little worried, right? As a Luke fan, you want to see him bounce back, get a big win, of course. But I mean, Bilal Muhammad does what Bilal Muhammad does, and that was arguably one of the best performances he's ever even had it's to true. do that for five rounds. And then last night, Jeff Neal kind of had the best performance of his career. So I swear, though, that's the thing with Luke. He brings out the best. <sighs> of his opponent. So it kind of works to his detriment because he's always going to have an extremely hard fight, man. So I'm definitely not ready to count out Vicente Luque, but you know, I wouldn't mind some time off, some readjusting. Obviously there was a clear weakness that Jeff Neal was able to capitalize on landing the left hand over and over again, but Luque can absolutely stay within that top 10 and get back to top five. I have no doubts right now. He's still in his prime. Let's just kind of see what he does next. He is obviously going to have to take more of a step back than what we already thought Jeff Neal was. That's clear. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. I don't want to concerned right now. I just more want to see a bit of a break. You know, yeah. just take some time. Take some time, yeah. Vicente. You've earned it. This guy's been putting <laughs> on absolute wars, all absolute hood classics for years now. Yeah. And I think he's earned a little bit of a break, you know, and I think he's let him recover a little bit because, you know, what he's he's taken a lot of shots over his career. Yes, um, you know, you were talking about how guys look like you know absolute studs against him. Look <laughs> at Stephen Thompson, you know, Stephen Thompson that was like the best he'd ever looked. Yeah, so yeah, I I more just want to see it. I don't really care who he comes back and fights. Like 
you were saying, well, it probably needs to be more of a step back than we thought. I mean, I still think that's a reasonable – to go to, like, a back end of the top 15 guy is probably who he's going to fight next. To me, that's fine. Yeah. It's just make it give, – give yourself some time to really recover from, you know, the Blau fight. Like, it was, a, it was you know, one, uh, some pretty one-sided, but, like – I wouldn't say the damage was all that overwhelming, but here, I mean, you took a, that was a yeah. lot of damage. So just give yourself some time. And yeah, I mean, hands of steel, man. I, I find myself surprised and humbled after that performance. <laughs> I, I agree with you there. More on this card to come into the PFL playoffs. Week one, Hulu Theater, New York City was where we were for, for this card. Not us personally, but. There were some people there. I'm you know, sure. unless you know PFL um, hit us up. Just anyway, <laughs> I completely agree with you there. Um, I want to start out with my biggest takeaway from this card. I'm not even going to go into the fights yet. I loved the layout of this card, and I got to yeah. give PFL a lot of you know round of applause to the PFL for that because mm-hmm. the PFL last season struggled mightily with pacing of their cards which I forgot to even mention, UFC Vegas 59, you mentioned at the top, 10 fights, 10 finishes. 10 is a low number of fights for for UFC yeah. card. Yeah. And the card still didn't end until 1 a.m. Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> like, there was, I, I saw so many commercials. Like, I was, it was a grind to get through that card. Like, what with all the first-round finishes, yeah. it was like 30 minutes in between fights. And I get it for the prelims, right? You know, prelims, especially when they have them on the yeah. network and stuff, there's a specific amount of time you have. And you lost two fights, like, right. the last couple days. I get it. But once the main card hits, let's just let's just roll, just go. baby. Let's just go. You know? Yeah, I agree. And, God, I mean, did we really need these little hype videos for the Ultimate Fighter finales? I was like, okay. Like, I get it. I watched the show. But I'm just saying, like... <laughs> Yeah. Ugh, when I when they when they started playing these little hype videos, I'm like, oh brother! I said, yeah, this is gonna take forever. Yeah. Um, but the PFL, probably the worst paced event I've ever seen was probably their championships. <laughs> I think that was like ten hours. Yeah. Uh, just <laughs> wild stuff. But here, not even the pacing that really I'm all that hung up on for for the playoffs. It's every fight on this card had stakes to it, and I love yep. that. Whether it was, of course, the playoff matchups themselves, you know, guys trying to fight to earn their way into the championship. But then lower on the card, you had guys who were fighting to earn their spot in the, I guess, PFL divisions next season. Yeah. And you had fights post-limb, which what a callback that was. I haven't seen that since, like, you know, pre-UFC 100 days. You had... yeah post limbs but they had post limbs where guys were earning the right to get on the challenger series you know the much ballyhooed challenger series so um even though i've had my thoughts on the challenger series i just thought it was great like every fight felt like it had stakes to it and it just you know it helps carry some interest into those car you know this is a pfl step down from the ufc obviously so their prelims you know it's step down from ufc prelims Mm-hmm. In terms of name value, in terms of you know just the quality, but it helped. Every fight had stakes. 
Yeah. So Dominic, with that being said, PFL playoffs came and went, at least the week one. What was your biggest takeaway from the PFL playoffs? OAM, the Canadian gangster. That dude, PFL lightweight champion this year, dare I say. <sighs> I, he is 5-0. Yeah. and oh in the PFL now since he's came over and now he's got the chance to fight for a million dollars against Stevie Ray. Yes. Stevie Ray beat Anthony Pettis again, but Olive Olivier Aban Mercier with the hyphenated name. I love that Oof. too. Destroyed Alex Martinez for three rounds. Absolutely wow. dominated from start to finish. Looked so good. And you would think a guy that is so like decision heavy, it would get a bit boring, uh, you know, after seeing it so many times, never got bored once in this fight. He he was constantly threatening and working for the finish if he could find it. He even looked good on the feet, which I thought Martinez, if anything, would have the advantage there. I mean, he has been just honestly the biggest standout of the entire PFL season thus far. And now he's one win away from changing his life and winning a million dollars. It was a flawless performance. Standout of the night for me absolutely was OAM. I mean... How could it not be, right? He he is just man, I love watching him fight. I love Has he been kind of the biggest notable fighter for you this year in the season? This year, yeah. Like last year, he is this season's like Rosh Manfio for me. You know, yeah. like last season, I mean he fought for the PFL last season. It just yeah, it didn't stick out to me the way it is now. And he just seems to be continuously improving. He looks yep. fantastic. Canadian gangster, the best nickname in the game. Because, yep. again, he got that nickname because he doesn't turn his turn signal on when he's turning at a stoplight. Right. But uh, to me, if I had to give like a second big, I hate to go negative here, but I'm 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 finally at the point, Dom Anthony Pettis. It's it's time to talk about him. Yeah, You know, I, I yeah. think a lot of people were saying this before me. I mean, even you, I think after the last fight, we're kind of ready to acknowledge this, but this loss, this one really did it for me where I'm like, wow, you know, the showtime, the, the, the being a high level MMA fighter is just done. Yeah, it's done. Now, I mean, he's competitive, like here against Stevie Ray. He's been competitive in the first fight. He looked great in the first round. Then yeah. the second round gets back taken, you know, the story. Here, he had his moments, but Stevie Ray just seemed to be able to take him down at will, had a great game plan for him, was able to kind of take him in the deep waters. What a win for Stevie Ray, by the way. I mean, two wins for Anthony Pettis, and now you're in the finals. Um, I mean, just awesome stuff. But... For Anthony, it's just sad. And I, I, I think a lot of people are going to mistakenly call for him to retire here. Again, I try to be a little more, um, at least lately, be better about not necessarily calling for people's retirements because it's just, you know, that's a very sensitive matter for these fighters as they get to that yeah. age, you know, or they start to lose a little bit of that skill. For Anthony Pettis... What I can say to his credit is he is not getting like outclassed. He's not getting knocked out. He's not getting finished brutally every time out there. This is not a Bigfoot Silva situation. Yeah. But 
it's just like, is he like he may not even be PFL caliber. He's one and four in the PFL, and it's just like, man. Just it's crazy kind of the fall off he's had because I mean this was uh former UFC champion. Felt like his prime was just soaked and it's just such yes. a shame to see that uh it's kind of fallen to this. Yeah, yeah, and also and I'm not even trying to you know, build on the pile here, but the whole narrative coming in, right? The interview with Ariel where he could have gotten out of the body triangle, bullshit. Because he was in the body triangle for much of this fight and was not able to do anything with it. Stevie Ray dominated when it was down there on the ground. So you lose two times to Stevie Ray, fair and square both times, that narrative. The little kind of glimmer I had that it was possible in that first time is now completely out of the window after seeing this rematch. Stevie Ray is the better man. He is the better fighter, and I think it's just clear to say that now. It sucks to even have to be negative about Anthony Pettis. He is the Wheaties box guy, a former champion, like Noah said, a WEC legend as well. Never forget the Showtime kick off of the cage. Mm-hmm. But man, you like you've said it perfectly. When you really think about it, his prime came and went, blink of an eye, and it was over. And if you didn't get to witness it, it is a shame because he was an elite talent, one of the best fighters in the world at a time. But it, that's just part of the game too. You have to see. All of these greats wither away, and it, it sucks to as be a hardcore fan and see it happen in front of your own eyes. Uh, but that's the that's the lay of the land. That's the way the game works. Very curious going into twenty twenty three. Is he going to want to fight again? Is the PFL going to want to keep him around? Because he is still a big name for them. But is the payoff quite worth it now after what all the hype that you had around him last year? So we'll see what happens. I know he had interest originally doing the welterweight season as well. I mistakenly when the first fight happened, thought that he was in welterweight this year, and obviously he wasn't. So maybe he tries that one final ride in 2023, but man, really, what do you do with Anthony Pettis? That's a great question, Noah. Yeah, I mean, I, if you're the PFL, I think you have no reason not to bring him back. Yeah. Um, he brings eyeballs. He, I mean, I don't know if he's going to continue to do so, but up to this point, I sure, like, I guess the PFL probably were hoping that he would come in and be like, I guess they were hoping he would be like a top guy for them. I mean, I guess that's the hope you have, but I mean, it can't hurt for him to be like, I mean, some of the guys that have beat him, like, I feel like have really benefited from it. Like a Rosh Manfio. I feel (laughs) like he's really benefited, even though I know this season sort of fizzled out for him. I feel like that really helped his credibility. So I feel like if you're the PFL, you still do this deal a hundred times out of a hundred, even with the hindsight of what it's been so far and i think if he's committed to coming back whether it be at 155 or 170 if you're the pfl you do it just because he is a big name he's going to drive a little bit more interest than your average guy he may not win he probably won't win but that's okay because he's going to be somewhat competitive i mean i feel like he's in every loss he's been competitive it's yes yes you know, it's just the holes have become even bigger than they were when he was at his best. You know, the the way Stevie Ray just was able to out grapple him at will here. It just, yeah. you know, that's not the way Anthony Pettis would have. That's not how he was in his prime. You know, exactly. But I, I don't see any reason why he won't be back next season, unless it's strictly him just not wanting to 
continue down this road and he can perhaps maybe they'll let him out of the contract or I don't know what his contract status is. He can go fight for Eagle FC or XMMA, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of promotions that have been homes for a lot of former uh, high-level guys, give them, you know, decent paydays kind of yeah. at the end of their career. I mean, I'm not going to complain about that. Uh, if he were to go to, like, what did Rashad Evans fight at in his last fight? He fought at Eagle. Yeah. Yeah. Did, well, his, at what division was it like? Oh, Oh, where did I don't remember. I think was it was. It pro- I think it was light heavyweight still or middleweight. Oh, it would have been it? one of the okay. two. Okay. Well, I was going to say if Rashad Evans was fighting at one seventy, do that. Yeah. Anthony Pettis, but I, I I wasn't sure if Rashad. Yeah, I don't was remember getting down to that weight. Um, yeah. I mean, to be on a more positive note, we opened our PFL playoffs with an absolute banger, <laughs> just banger. Rob Wilkinson getting the knockout of Dylan Monte. But not before having to eat some big old hammers. That fight was awesome. It was like only a minute thirty seven seconds. Rob Wilkinson is fucking awesome. I love watching that guy fight. Yeah. Um, it's him versus Akhmadov in the finale of the championships, and then you got OAM taking on Stevie Ray. I think those are two very solid matchups. Mm-hmm. I think the Wilkinson Akhmadov fight is very intriguing. Um, I do kind of agree with you that OAM, it feels like a foregone conclusion that this guy is going to win the championship for this division. But Stevie Ray, he keeps defying the odds, Dom. Just like Manfio last year at 155. That's the story. Exactly. Exactly. We start with the UFC 280, Dominic, once again in the headlines. Once again, (laughs) the fights keep on coming. Hmm. What's that song? um, They don't. Stop, they don't stop like they yeah uh what yes. what song am i thinking of that's, that's uh, uh it's, it's, uh <laughs> what's the band it was in shrek <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, smash mouth is that the name of the band yeah smash mouth what's rock hey star. now what you're is. a rock star yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't stop coming and they don't stop coming and they don't stop coming and they don't, <laughs> you know, I've, yeah i've seen the loop on youtube it's like 24 hours of it just yeah. not stop coming well, that's what UFC 280s turned into. It's so this insane. is, of course, the card in Abu Dhabi, October 22nd. Vulcan Uzdemir and Nikita Krylov making quick turnarounds from fighting just a couple weeks ago. But they're going to fight each other, Dominic. So Nikita Krylov maybe had the more impressive performance out of the two, the more noteworthy performance with his knockout of Gustafson. But do you like this matchup? You know, Krylov, guy that constantly has a very high finishing rate, of course. Vulcan Uzdemir, a bit of the same. Feels like maybe a fight that won't go to distance. Yeah, that could be a bet. Come the bet slip in October. It is a good fight. Two guys that have been doing it for quite some time now, even Vulcan, but never fought each other. So it's a fresh matchup. I'm never opposed to fresh matchups. Should be a fun one. That that fight card, they might as well just put 20 fights on it and break it up into two halves <laughs> at this point. I mean, it's it's absolutely nuts, the amount of phenomenal fights and ranked fighters on that card. Yeah. Uh, next one here, this is the biggest one. Our main event for UFC 281, Madison Square Garden, November 12th. For the middleweight title, the fight we all thought was coming, Israel Adesanya will be defending against Alex Pajera. So, Dominic, this is a big one. It's a very big fight. Obviously, putting Izzy in Madison Square Garden makes a lot of sense. But that's not the story here. This show, we, we have talked about this after Izzy's last fight. 
You know, there is a bit of a um, stigma is the word I'm thinking of, but it's a, there's a bit of a narrative out there that we may even subscribe to depending on, I'm not sure exactly how you feel. And honestly, I don't know exactly how I feel, but where Israel Adesanya's title defenses are not the quality of fights that we want. They, mm-hmm. They're just not, they've not been the most exciting fights in the world. Um, as a lot of that blame has been thrown at the champion should it be, I mean, there's so many questions, and maybe that's more for when the fight actually comes. But my question for you, as you sit here today, we're three months out from this card. Yeah. Is Alex Pajara going to be the guy to really bring the action to Israel Adesanya? Bring the action. That's that's uh, Black Eyed Peas, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, you know, it's funny. I'm going to answer it, but in like a long-winded way, because... Yeah. When this got announced, everybody was super stoked, excited. And I'm excited, but like I knew the fight was going to happen. It's cool that they're doing it at MSG. It's a big fight. They deserve it. But I just didn't get as excited as everybody else Ooh. because of that narrative. And I think we discussed it pretty in-depth after they both fought at, um, what pay-per-view was it? 276, yeah. uh, July 2nd, because obviously we know Izzy's performance against Cannoneer wasn't the greatest to be desired. Um, and Alex Pajara dominated, or well, not dominated, he knocked out Sean Strickland once the shot came, he found it, and the fight was over. Really, there's nothing else to say about the fight. But these are two guys that are phenomenal counter-strikers. And if they're coming to you and they bring an opening to one of these guys, they will capitalize. But when you put them against each other, I get a little bit nervous. No, I get a little bit nervous that this may not be the highest output the most swang and bang back and forth fight that some people think it's going to be. And don't get me wrong. I want to be one of those people. I want to believe that it's going to deliver, but I have to be pessimistic until this fight starts. So I I can't get as excited as everyone else is. It makes sense. The storylines are there. I know the kickboxing wins that Payer has and whatnot over Izzy. I just got to see it to believe it. I, I'll see what happens when they get in Madison Square Garden in the cage on November 12th. I, I'm very curious to see how you feel about it. I'll, I'll put it like this. The the sports side of me is glad this fight's being made because yeah. I feel like Alex Pajara with that win seemed like he was the, the rightful next guy. Isn't that crazy, um, though, too? Still three UFC fights. and I guess in a way, like, maybe, yeah, I mean. But, it, you know, but he, he earned it. I'm the Sean saying. Strickland one, I mean, that was emphatic. That was, yes. I mean, that was yes. a highlight reel type knockout. He does have two wins over Izzy in kickboxing. You have the narrative, the storyline there. Yes. Well, maybe it isn't the sports side of me that was happy about that. I don't know. I now I'm now I'm questioning. I didn't. No, don't question yourself. I just. But know. I do think you're right. I just basically that side of me, at least in my head, is was kind of happy that this fight was made. I'm like, okay. Felt like the rightful next fight. Yeah. Good. I'm glad it's announced. I think Madison Square Garden's a good spot for it. Yeah. The fan in me, the 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 person that likes to be entertained, is very nervous. Yeah. Very nervous. And I'm kind of shocked at how excited everybody is because I'm like, wait I a know. minute. Weren't a month ago, weren't we all like <laughs> kind of mad at Iz- Izzy yeah. for, you know, a lot of the talk that goes in? You know, he's always saying. You know, he does a lot of talk for fight promotion, right? He'll say, like, yeah. 
I mean, what? What? I don't even know. I mean, the whole. The, I hope he's. Done, I hope he retires that Elsa line forever. I mean, <laughs> oh my god. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones, you know, just acting like he is going in there to put on a show to to knock his opponent out, and once the fight takes place, it's like well, it's a lot of low kicks and jabs, but uh, I don't know if that's really going mm-hmm. for a finish there. Um, which again, like. That's more just like the person wanting to be entertained in me. Of I course. recognize Israel Adesanya is one of the best to ever do it. He is oh, yeah. one yeah. of the best currently to do it. Yeah. And honestly, legacy-wise, it really doesn't matter because I feel like this – there probably is a point where people will say like, well, if you look at the history, you know, Anderson Silva, GSP, they've all had that sort of narrative around them at one point in time. Yeah. And – now their legacy is more defined by the fact that they were so dominant. Just great. Yeah, Yeah. greatness. So at the end of the day, I don't know how much it matters long-term, but I don't believe for a second that this is going to be the fight that people think it's going to be. I just, again, I am a bit of a believe it when I see it at this point with Izzy. And it's not even just Izzy. Because we give him a lot of flack for these string of just Mm -hmm. disappointing fights and kind of these um, in his title defenses. But I think there's a lot of blame that can be thrown on the people he's fighting. It takes two to tango. Yeah. You know, you look at like the Kelvin Gaslam fight, a lot of credit's got to be given to Kelvin for going for it. Right. And Izzy, of course, but then you look and then the Robert, the first Robert Whitaker fight, you know, Izzy just masterclass really went for it there. That's probably the last time. That Paulo Costa were like the two last two times we've really seen him go for it. Right. But like the Joel Romero fight. Are you really going to put all the blame on Izzy for that one? Right. And then the second Robert Whitaker fight I thought was okay. I thought it was Yeah, okay I thought it was an okay fight. So I'm really not even like that one's yeah. the one that bothers me. Like Marvin Vittori the second time. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like Marvin was trying, I felt like, but I just didn't think he was skilled enough to get it done. He wasn't and, trying in a way to make it. Like a barn burner of a fight, you know what I mean? No, Different he was. Type of I mean, he was looking to take the fight to the ground. Yeah. I mean, that's where his strengths lied in that matchup. You get it, right? And then the Cannoneer one, like Cannoneer deserves a lot of flack for that. I mean, yeah. what was he even trying to do? Like, you right. know, just he had some success when it came to in the mid middle rounds. You know, he was able to clinch up and have yeah. some dirty boxing success, but it was all short lived. And that was his lone shot he's ever going to get at a title. And Yep. You know, just squandered it a little bit. But there is an Izzy effect, as Dominic has coined on here many a times. And with Pajara, I don't think you're going to have that issue. I don't think it's going to be an Izzy effect. I, just, I think it's two guys who are high-level kickboxers, high-level counter-strikers, like you're saying. And we may just get two guys that don't want to risk the the shot. I mean, Izzy mm-hmm. has been knocked out by this guy. Yep. I would going into it, I favor Israel Adesanya. But, you have to, though, I think. You know, <laughs> but I feel like this is going to be like a forty. I feel I think it's going to be the type of quality at best that we got in the second Whitaker fight. That's to me, that's best case scenario. Yeah, I think that's okay to have expectations, and I'm okay that. with that. Yeah, and I'm okay. With, like to me, that's accept. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, that's a like, good fight. The second Whitaker fight, like I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Yeah, it's just at the end you kind of go, well, I mean. Now it's over, you know. <laughs> it's like yeah. nothing really of note, I guess, happened. But, you know, it was a high-level fight, right? right? That's what I. That's at best what I think you get here. That, that's and then at worst, maybe you over Romero. 
turd sandwich. I mean, do you want to talk about a two <laughs> spectrums right there, man? I don't know. Um, no, but I, I, I think it is a, a good main event to have on that card. I just hope it delivers. I mean, it's, you know, Izzy is a big star. He sells pretty well. He, he you know, garners a lot of interest. There's a lot of eyes on him. But how long is that going to last if it just continuously, if he continues disappointing? Because, I mean, we're the hardcore fans. We're the ones that are always buying the cards. Yeah, yeah. But how many people bought UFC 276, which I still am so disappointed that how many people I saw talking about that card that don't normally talk about MMA or watch MMA buying that card and then that main event happened? Like, how many people are going to really tune in come November when he's on the top of the bill again? It's just, yeah. it's a good question to 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 ask, but it may not really matter in the long term. That's really, I guess, that, that's my jumbled thoughts about, about that fight. We shall see. And last and smallest. I'm just glad I'm you gonna, put them on. I, hey, man, they deserve it. Our, our, our little flyweights... <laughs> Yeah, they're Mateus, never going to be disrespected on this no, show. No, Matthias Nicolau and Matt Schnell. I'm actually surprised. This is December 3rd, by the way, our second fight for December. Oh, yeah. It's a, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised Matt Schnell didn't get a bigger fight. I am. I thought they were going to really try to capitalize on that just <laughs> extraordinary <laughs> comeback yeah. he had against Sue Maderji. But I do think this is a great fight. High-level stuff. Matthias Nicolau has been on a really good run. Wins over, like, Manel Kopp. And who did he beat in Columbus? It was, I know. Uh, I'm blanking on it. It wasn't a very great fight. I no, just said they don't get, get disrespected on here. But, but uh, all in all, like, I think this is a very good fight. I think this should be a very fun fight, actually. And for Nicolau, he's been a bit of a decision machine. Matt Schnell, win or lose, seems the most. It feels like it's a lot of finishes in there, so that could be, you know, he could really bring the action, like I just said. Bring the action. Um, Matthias beat David Dvorak at UFC Columbus oh, yeah. that we got to see fight. Hey, so I, Dvorak, was, Dvorak was kind of a guy that a lot of people thought was on the up and up, too. Right. So uh, I, I think it is a good fight. It is a high-level fight, like Noah said. So, yeah, that fight with the Amanda Hebos uh, fight on December 3rd, that is looking to be good so far in December. Let's move on to the rest, and we got a bunch from UFC Vegas 59 here. We start with the ultimate fight. Well, actually, I guess um, I should say, well, we'll get into it later. The ultimate fighter <laughs> season 30 winners is who we're starting with here. Yeah, Mo Usman, the younger brother of Kamaru, is your heavyweight division winner as he got the knockout in round two, not even a minute in, over Zach Palga. So, Dominic, I think there's some pretty big takeaways from this fight, if I'm being honest with you. I feel like this this was heavyweight. This is the most heavyweight of heavyweight that you can heavyweight. And here's why. Okay. And I'll tell you why. I feel like Zach Palga showed that he is the more skilled fighter of the two, and it simply did not matter. Yeah. Because <laughs> Muhammad Usman is an athletic freak who carries extraordinary power and – even though he got kind of outworked in round one, in my opinion. I mean, not outclassed quite, but definitely got outworked in round one. Simply found a short left hook in round two, and it was all over. Mm. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Zach Palga is a guy who's fought at light heavyweight before. I don't know how hard of a cut it is for him, 
But I would, I think he could be a guy you bring into the UFC. I mean, I think he's a pretty skilled guy. Yeah. I don't know how good he would be at heavyweight because simply six fights, five of them have went to a decision. He doesn't quite have that knockout power that a lot of these guys at heavyweight possess. So even though he's got the skill, like at heavyweight, sometimes with one, these guys that have this one shot, just they, they just get you just right and it's over. How many, I mean, yes, there's a, a section of guys at heavyweight, Andre Arlovsky by decision, you know, <laughs> there are yes. guys who are going to decisions a lot, but it's few and far between. So I feel like that was the story of this fight. Heavyweights being the most heavyweight to ever heavyweight. Yeah, I love that description, Noah. And really, that's all you can say. The only other thing to add on in terms of just the importance of that, obviously he's the ultimate fighter winner now, but the first set of siblings to win Mm -hmm. two different seasons of the ultimate fighter, Kamaru Usman and Mohamed Usman. But Kamaru Usman, welterweight champion, current number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Will Mohamed join him one day and also get a UFC title? To be determined. Yeah. I just had to throw it in like, there. Is he 32, 33? He's a little bit I think he's, the... yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, lo- I actually, so I said here on Thursday, the two underdogs for these two uh, ultimate fighter fights, I had it flipped. Like, I assumed going in, Muhammad Usman would be the favorite. And Palga was a pretty heavy favorite, actually. And I, I was... I, my reasoning for that is really what we saw here. Like I thought Palga had showed more skills and had been more impressive, but Muhammad Usman just, I mean, he has great knockout power and yep. I think he uses his size very well. Like he was technically three pounds um, lighter than Palga, but if you looked at the two of them, Usman was the bigger guy. They're the same yes. height. I think Usman had like three inches of reach, but all in all, like when I'm going into this, I thought Usman was going to be like much bigger. And I think it's just, he uses his size very well. Um, I think there's some potential just strictly on the athletic traits you got there. He just, he's going to have to work on a lot of those skills um, more just to flesh out his game a little bit more probably. But I I liked what I saw. Um, The next one, Juliana Miller, completely dominant showing against Brogan Walker ends up getting the TKO in round three. A lot of people like Juliana Miller a lot. Truthfully, Dom, when I watched the show, she may have been my least favorite person on the entire show. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. <laughs> because and, I, and her fight style though, is like really fun to watch. Like yeah. She goes for it every time. Like even here, she dominated the first two rounds of this fight. And she was still in round three looking for a finish. I mean, yep. I love when people do that. And on the show, she had a lot of that that kind of traits. Like, even if she wasn't... I mean, she's only two and one in her professional career. Like, very limited amount of fights. But it was arguably less skilled in every fight than her opponent. Or had less of a resume than her opponent. But she has had more of that dog in her. <laughs> that damn right. <laughs> We're never going to get tired of using that, are we? So, um, for Juliana Miller, what I didn't like about her when I watched the show, and this is, I will say the fight style will win you over, but my man, Bobby Maximus, all 42 years of him, you know, that man is the nicest guy 
on that show. I love, you know how much I was crapping on him being on that show? I was loving Bobby Maximus. Like, I thought he was, yeah. like, the nicest guy. Like, he was just, like, I don't know. He's just a, like, he just felt like a guy you could just, like, you know, open up to. and Have a beer with, sit down. Put a, yeah, he put a, and he'd put an arm around you and be like, hey, buddy, everything's going to be all right. You know? Yeah. So he earned a lot of trust from people in the house. Like, people just went, they just talked to him all the time. He just had a lot of friends in the house on both teams. And Juliana Miller, her, like, introduction almost was, like, her, almost, like, the catch-me-outside girl. Like, oh. that was kind of her, her like, introduction. And she was, like, super just pissed off that Bobby was, like, friends with people on Team Nunez. And I was like, what the fuck does it matter? Because I don't want him spreading our game plans and... All this stuff, and I'm like, oh my god! I said, I I can't stand this chick. But <laughs> fight style, dude, she was she's electric. I mean, I yeah, there might really be something there with her too, because she's got great size, great grappling, um, pretty strong. I mean, Brogan Walker's supposed to be super strong, and in the clinch, it was no competition here. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. You checked every box, and she really could be. Um, a, another great addition to this next wave of women's flyweights. That's simply all there is about it. Um, and it's a fun fight style, so you can't not uh, like that. So I'm excited to see what comes next. Brogan Walker, by the way, uh, former, she actually was probably the favorite to win the season as far as like from the beginning. Her resume, she has a win over Miranda Maverick and has even fought like Aaron Blanchfield and then yep. So. Uh, I think that says a lot that someone like Juliana Miller, who has like virtually zero experience, is able to, you know, pull off a win that dominantly over. Her. Absolutely. So, now for the heavyweights, Dom, the polar bear Sergey Spivak gets a very dominant TKO win over Augusto Sakai. That makes it four losses for Sakai, all via finish. Dominic, I think what we said about Augusto Sakai way back in his very first main event with Alistair Overeem has really came true. We really didn't buy him as like a, a guy that the UFC seemed to be investing in as being like a, a next crop of heavyweight. He was mm-hmm. floating in that top 10. They put him up with Overeem in the main event. Um, we didn't really see it. And I think the losses since then have kind of proven that we may have been right. Um, it just seems like, like you said off recording, you get this guy to the ground and he is just a completely different fighter. And yeah. Sergey Spivak, man, had some great trips, just very creative in the way he was getting that fight to the ground. But Dominic, I thought Spivak outstruck him. Every punch Spivak threw, I felt like, had Sakai's head snapping back. So great performance from the polar bear to crash into the top 15. Yeah, I'm, again, copy-paste. I, I, I don't even have any more thoughts to say. <laughs> Noah's covering all the bases. It was a great fight for Spivak. Really one that I kind of, he had been fighting well. He's won like five out of six. But that's one that you really kind of make a statement with. And now he's back in the rankings. Mm. So excited to see what he can do. I really am. I do feel for him, though. He, he basically demanded a bonus afterwards, and he still didn't get it. Don't get me started on the bonus situation, man. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was right crazy. when the UFC had been doing better, 
Because we've had, we've been having some good cards lately where there's been like six or seven finishes, and they're just like, fuck it. They're all good. 50K, all of you. We just had, again, go back to the beginning of the episode. The second time in modern UFC history, first time in like eight years, first time in the entire history of the ESPN deal that's over three years old now, that you have a card with a 100% finish rate. Ten fights, ten finishes. Every single one of them should have gotten a bonus last night. And three people did. Crazy. Crazy. Right when the they UFC did, they, was doing it, good. They they botched it last night. They did. Yeah, that's just, it's so baffling. I was like, when I read it, I was like, really? Yeah. I'm like, come I on, woke up guys. to that this like, morning. At least, at least, thankfully, they did give a fight of the night bonus to our main event. So Jamal Hill, Tiago Santos did get a fight bonus. But at first, I just saw the three performance bonuses. I was like, what is this? Yeah. I was like, this is something you give for a card that's like all decisions. Like, what, what yeah. is going on here? Um, yeah. Yeah. That, but I know I've been doing a lot of talking, Dom. I've been taking all the, the, the shine here the last couple of fights. So I'm going to actually alley-oop this one to you, like uh, D-Wade to LeBron and their prime. Yeah. Terrence McKinney. Is he a problem? Oh, come on now. T-Rex <laughs> is a problem. Terrence McKinney, man. I mean, he shows what he can do off of a training camp, right? Because he took that fight with Drew Dober on short notice. was the first and only man ever still to drop Drew Dober. That fight was just one of the craziest one-rounders you'll ever see. Obviously, he lost that one, but he bounces back here, destroys Eric Gonzalez, gets a submission two minutes into the first round. He's phenomenal on the ground, so good on the ground. His wrestling and his transitioning, his jiu-jitsu, he's an ace down there. But on the feet... Let us not forget his UFC debut was a seven-second knockout against Matt Favola. I mean, this dude carries power on the feet as well. He's a Swiss Army knife. He really is great everywhere. Um, he can get hit. He took one. Really, he only got hit once last night, but it was a really good shot. That that could have definitely wobbled him. So, shout out to him for just eating it, I guess. Credit where credit's due. But he, he just capped it off. A great performance. I mean, he was a minus 900 favorite, for crying out loud. But then he calls out. Patty the Batty in a fight that we have already discussed a couple weeks ago. We get to discuss it again now, Noah, because that is the fight that UFC should make in Madison Square Garden. Those two, ooh, that's a great fight, Noah. And I know you responded on Twitter. I know you want to see it. Tell the people why you want to see it. I want to ask you, so I, I, I feel like we're still trying working our way into MMA Twitter but I started seeing this like thing going around about Terrence McKinney after okay, he called out Patty and then everybody kept like tagging that Deanna Belbita in it. You know, yeah. the Yeah. Um have you heard about this uh this little backstory here? Yeah, she she I she put out a tweet something about if he beats patty she would go on a date with him or something and then there's also the bane the bane davis shout out the bane he's really funny on twitter (laughs) and does like commentary and stuff so he has like a huge crush on diana so he's like upset that she's offering a date to (laughs) t-rex and not him and it's like kind of like a funny love triangle mma twitter thing it's pretty great stuff it was i was going down this rabbit hole because i had to try i couldn't find anybody giving context because all i read (laughs) it was just like well, you know, Diana was like tweeting like, you know, about like great job at T Rex yeah. and stuff and um Bane just kept commenting on her stuff with just like these gifts of 
someone just being like super upset and stuff. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I need some context. So all I did was I, I went to the search and I just put uh, Terrence McKinney's at and I put Diana Belbita's at. Yep. And eventually I was able to find all of it and I was like, wow, this is hilarious. So yes. um, she said she would date Terrence if he beat Patty Woods. So uh, that is something that we may have the next power couple on our hands in MMA if that shall happen. And I do hope we get that fight. I really do. All jokes aside, I think that fight is a just, I think that it's fight, awesome. that is awesome fight for Madison Square Garden. I mean, come on, just, just put it in there. I do think Patty has a route to, like, I don't think that Patty's like, a, like, I don't think he doesn't have a chance there or anything like that. Like, if you ask me between Patty and Terrence McKinney, who I think has the higher ceiling right now, I'd actually probably say Terrence McKinney, but... Mm-hmm. Like Terrence McKinney, man, if he if he he leaves those openings a little bit on the feet, he has gotten rocked a couple times. Uh, he did here; he got hit with a really shot, but then followed it up with a masterful takedown. So I mean, he he's just so skilled everywhere. Um, I think Patty and him. I think that's such a fun fight. I would love to see that. Yeah, it, dare I say, the last half of twenty twenty two. That's a fight that I have to see before the end of the year. Absolutely. I wouldn't even be opposed if that was a fight night headliner. What do you think about that? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Again, we're big on what you want, what we want to see as fans as a fight night headliner, and that checks boxes. These are two guys that are mm-hmm. looked at as future legit contenders at lightweight. So why not? It's it's similar to, it's a, it's a dummied down version of Saryukian and Gamrock because they were already ranked, obviously. Yeah. But if there's a storyline there, there's a narrative there, there's implications to get into the rankings even potentially to build someone up. Um, I mean, I would abs- they wouldn't do it, but holy, like I would absolutely sign off on it 100% to be a headliner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Next up, Dom, we have what's likely the end of Sam Alvey's tenure with the UFC. He had his family there, six of his kids in the audience. And then mm-hmm. Mikhail... Alexei Shuk said if he dies, he dies, and proceeded to throw nothing but overhand bombs for the entire minute 56 seconds this fight lasted. Um, this was a bit sad. It was a bit sad. Like, you know, it was, there was a lot of jokes being made afterwards. I get it. Like Malvi signed the new deal. I, hey, look, I was, I, I have fun with it too. But, man, this guy had his whole family there. Yeah. And he got fucking pummeled. It's just like, ugh. You know, you just kind of feel a little icky kind of watch. But, man, Ole Shook looked fucking phenomenal. So, um, I get job well done there. Uh, Sam Alvey, a UFC soldier and through. Um, hopefully he got paid pretty well for this and he got to the sunset. Solid career didn't end away, obviously, the string of no wins that he would have liked. But at one time, the guy was very good, so um, he deserves some respect for that. Yeah, he absolutely does know. I'm glad you gave him the shine there. And for old Lexicek, too, this was his first fight in the UFC down at 185. Filled out well. Looked real much better 
as a middleweight as compared to a light heavyweight. So I am curious to see what he can do at this division. It's not the most talent-rich stack division either. I think he can actually make some noise. He is a great kickboxer. Last night doesn't necessarily show it because he went in there, again, just throwing hooks, trying to get Sam out of there. But against like a legitimate, better competition, more even competition, I would really like to see what he can do at 185. Well said, well said. Uh, season nine of the Ultimate Fighters, um, I guess middleweight division winner, is already down at welterweight. Really, that's such a common thing about these guys that win the Ultimate Fighter. They like never in a division that they win it. I feel like, but uh, Brian Battle, he gets the knockout to Kashida with a nasty head kick, uh, forty-four seconds into round one, and then I, and I'm taking this from someone on Twitter. I wish I would have put down their hat but he said brian battle is looking for a brian battle with brian barbarina uh hilarious call outs by the way um not only was math wrong he called out brian barbarina for spelling his name wrong and they actually spell it the exact same (laughs) um just hilarious uh brian battle though pooh bear i loved what i saw this is a short but he might be – I mean, I wasn't all that high on him even after winning the Ultimate Fighter. God, he just looks so much better. Like, he just looks really good. And at a welterweight, I think I like him even more. Yeah, his physique was so noticeably different in this fight as compared to the 185-pound fights if you go back and watch them. But to knock out Takashi Sato like that – I mean, Pooh Bear's known for just being a great grappler and submission threat on the ground, but to look that good on the feet and then get a knockout like that in 44 seconds is crazy. Called out, of course, the Brian battle, battle of the battle, Brian's battling it out in the battle (laughs) octagon. (laughs) But then he also called out Ian Gary, which is a super interesting fight too. So uh, either one of those are great. I I love what I saw from Brian Battle. He took it like a man at the post-fight presser. He's like, dude, my team told me immediately after the... I left the cage that I got his name spelled wrong and we spelled the same. So he's just a fun character, a really lighthearted guy. But he, when he gets in the cage, he doesn't fuck around. So I'm excited for what he can do next as well. I forgot about the Ian Gary call out. I think that's a great next fight for both those guys. I'd love to see that. That's sick. He said, yeah. and I thought it was a great call out. He's like, I'm not saying he's ducking me, but I sure think he's being protected. Mm. I was like, okay, I, I yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Last one here. I wish we were only talking about the performance, but Myra Bueno Silva <laughs> gets the first round submission over Stephanie Egger to open our card a minute, 17 seconds in. And, um, you know, Myra Bueno Silva looked very good, very, you know, a- the fact that she was able to get the back the way she was after Egger seemed to be the one that was persistently trying to take that fight down. Uh, very good stuff. Good submission. We got to talk about what happened after the Dom. Yeah. Um, what are you? What's your take on this situation? Because I feel like everybody seems to agree that it's pretty clear that Egger probably tapped. I mean, why would Bueno Silva give it up? You know why? Mm-hmm. Why would? Of course, why would a judge, Ron McCarthy, son of John McCarthy, by the way, and Herb Dean, and why would they lie and say that they didn't? You know that they saw a tap. So I mean, it it seems pretty clear that she that she probably tapped, and not to mention when it when it ended, she didn't like come out and say like, "No, I didn't tap." She just kind of yeah. sat there. 
It was yeah. kind of like a like it's like she looked like a kid at their friend's house when the friend's parents are fighting. That's what it looked like. Yeah. Um, but I guess what do you th- do? You think that's a bad precedent to set where you just take the like you allow the judges to sort of make the call almost like they like I'm pulling the judges is what it's called like. Do you feel like it's almost a bad precedent to set where, like, a ref just takes the opinion of a judge where they're like, yeah, I saw her tap. Like, I don't know. I'm just curious your thoughts on it. I saw a little bit of chatter online. It was it was weird, right? We've never really seen that uh, that I can remember where they, they obviously went to the replay first. There's no clear angle because the way that Myra had the arm bar in, Edgar was, like, on top of Myra, so her tap arm was tucked up against the cage on like Myra's butt and you couldn't see it from any camera angle. So you just kind of had to trust, of course, Myra, the arm to be fair was beginning to um, bend like hyper extend. So it was going to be bad if there wasn't a tap there. So shout out to Myra for letting go, but to shout out to Dean Thomas in the post fight. He said, when when Stephanie just sat there and didn't say anything, that means that she tapped because if she didn't tap, you would automatically want to get up and protest, right? You would think mm-hmm. that you would do that. So it was weird. The precedent of the ref saying, well, shit, we don't have a camera angle, but then he went up to talk to the judges and they said that they saw it. Um, I, I had a betting bias here too. So I'm glad Meyer got the win, <laughs> I guess, but I, I don't want this to be like, and obviously it's not a common thing. It's the first time we've ever seen it, but it should it happen again. Do we ask the judges? Do we just start the fight over? I, I I don't really know an answer to that type of question. It's so, I guess when a fight goes to replay, it's over. Rego- it's going to end somehow. Okay. Yeah. So right there, when they went to replay, it was either a submission win for Silva or it was a no contest. There was no okay. starting that fight over. Which I can just imagine the pain you would have been in, dude. That would have been a no contest. Oh boy. Um, I I don't I I'm okay. Like it's in the rules. Like you can pull the judges and stuff. Like it's at least I believe it's a part. Um, Aaron Bronstetter took the course recently, where mm-hmm. like the judging and course and all that. I guess that was a part of it. So um, pulling the judges is a method that the reps can use. Um, obviously, instant replay couldn't catch it. Luckily, Ron McCarthy, Herb Dean, they yeah. all said that they clearly saw it. I had no issue with it. I just saw some people being like, well, that's kind of a bad precedent to set. Like, what if a judge said, oh, yeah, I definitely saw it and didn't, but I don't know. I I try to give our judges more credit than that. They may not be good right. at scoring fights a lot of times, but I hope that they have more. <laughs> they know what um, a tap is. <laughs> Well, I hope that they're just, I don't know, have better character than to lie. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Um, but that's it for the rest. Um, hold on, no, Hold on, hold on. on. Hold on. I have to do it because there's only one fight we didn't talk about, and I just have to give a quick one just to make it 10 for 10 because there was 10 finishes. Corey McKenna, first ever Vaughn, Vaughn flew choke in women's MMA history, the youngest women's fighter on the UFC roster back in the win column there. We hit it all 10 for 10. Well, 10 it, was a good bounce, it was a good bounce back for her, too. I didn't realize yeah. that was the only fight that got left <laughs> off. Uh, yeah. My bad to the ladies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't uh, mean any disrespect there. Just, you know, Corey McKenna, she's an interesting fighter in that division, right? Because she is the youngest, obviously very green, but also has great wrestling and submission skills. 
Yeah. But like her last fight against Elise Reed, she didn't like. She had a really bad game plan. It seemed yeah. like just a weird fight. Here she looked great. I mean, just yeah. a great bounce back for her. And yeah, to be the first women woman to get the Von Flucho, like, I mean, Dominic may or may not have called it an arm triangle or whatever. But you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's okay, you know. Yeah, he only everything's put it on fine. The Twitter. He only put it on the Twitter for everybody to see, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> now we're yeah, done. Just, well, with that. Now let's move on to the below average bet slip. This is a great time to remind everyone that you can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram at baj underscore MMA podcast. Um, we post our picks every Friday for the weekend. Moving forward. You're going to start seeing those picks posted on there instead of us talking about them on the preview episodes. That's just so to give us more time to get the best of the best picks in, mm-hmm. you know, because we need all the time we can get, me especially. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can also follow Dominic on Twitter, Instagram at DSLEE14, and you can follow myself on Twitter, Instagram at NTBaker underscore. Um, I think that was everything that I needed to get out of the way there. I think so. So the below average bet slip, it's here. We both actually bounced back. Well, Dominic's already been doing pretty good. I bounced back from two of the worst betting weeks of my entire <laughs> life to make a slight net positive here. Yeah. So yeah. all in all, me and Dom both come out positive. Um you know, like a lot of people might question the PFL parlay. That's simply me trying to put a Hail Mary out there to try to earn back some of what I lost the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Of course, Dominic was in our humble, a second humble abode. He's staying in a hotel, having to depend on hotel Wi-Fi. I send him that parlay at like the last second before he posts. And he's like, oh, it might not get put on the on the graphic, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make it in the tweet. And I was like, oof, you know, the better in me is like, wait a minute, if it's not on the graphic, like that's going to lose. I'm like, okay. it needs to be on the graphic. But then I wish that he hadn't put it on the graphic <laughs> because it did lose. And if it wouldn't have been on the graphic, I would have just not counted it. I right. just admit, I'm just admitting what I would have done. I totally <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have counted yeah. it. Yeah. If it wasn't on the graphic, it would have been like, it never happened. Like, yeah, I lost the money. But you guys would never know. Right. That's an untracked bet, that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then, so, but now it's tracked. <laughs> so, Dominic, anything else that stood out to you as far as anything that hit, anything that missed? Um, I'm just going to go quickly on a personal standpoint. To go 2-0 on parlays feels good. It does. Because mm. I, I, that is, this, like, second half of 2022, that's where I've kind of tweaked the most, is the way that I approach parlays, especially money line parlays. I, I had that. That first week of the second half of the year, I went like three two-leggers. Um, so now I've been doing two-leg money lines. It hit again here with Brian Battle, Sergey Seabach. And then I also hit a, I call them variety parlays when I don't necessarily do just money lines. The Terrence McKinney by finish Jamal Hill by knockout decision. Me and Noah both placed that one. Uh, I felt like that was a super great bet to place. I, I really did because they were huge favorites. You have to dummy them down. You have to find these odds. And to get that at minus 133, I felt like was a phenomenal play on our end. And so I, I just, it feels good to kind of, I'm starting to dial in, I think what I need to do parlay wise. I just have to be consistent at it now, but it was a good week. I'm glad we're in the positive. That minus is going to keep trickling back down until we see a plus on both sides of those standings there. 
Yeah, I'm glad that uh, you feel like you're getting the hang of it because somehow I've been doing this for eight months now, and I think I feel like I know less than I did. (laughs) Less now than January. So uh, football season's around the corner, though, and I I did pretty good on football bets last fall. So I hope uh, that'll give me some confidence, I guess, to move forward. Hopefully, unless that also blows up in my face, and then it's just then we could have some problems. But uh, that's it. Um, we do, of course, in the show, not any other normal way, but we do it with closing statements, Dom. It's the point of the show where me and you can talk about anything and everything, MMA-related or not. So do you have any closing statements for us on this Monday, August 8th edition? Well, for our loyal listeners that stay all the way to the very end, after all the MMA talk's over and you just want to hear us cut the shit for a couple minutes... You know that I mentioned on Thursday that I wanted to start bringing up some random questions whenever I had them in my brain. Well, I thought of one this morning, so I'm going to bring it out here. Does anyone out there still double knot their shoes? Because I remember from like K through 12, it was always double knot or nothing. Whether, you know, in school with the tennis shoes or like in sports, football cleats, basketball shoes always double knotted them you didn't want your shit to come untied you're tripping in the hallway dropping your books you're falling on a wide receiver route on the football field you had to double knot your shoes but i swear the moment i graduated high school transitioned into college i don't know if i've double knotted a shoe since i think i've always just done a one single loop i mean what's the spongebob song you do the loop de loop and pull and your shoes are looking cool so i just want to know and noah you can answer here live do you ever double knot your shoes? Did you ever double knot your shoes? Or have you always been loyal to the single loop? <laughs> well, that's a great question. <laughs> I, tend not I told to you these of, are going to be everywhere. <laughs> I tend not to think about it. Um, weirdly enough, I, I would probably say I haven't double knotted a shoe in at, probably since high school. So you're right. right. What is that? I feel all like about? I don't know what it. What is that about? I think it's. I think it's maybe. Is it something with our parents? Like was was that part of the freedom of moving out to college? Is we can single knot our shoes and not be, maybe not be lectured by our mamas. Maybe I really want this to be like a worldwide thing. Everyone yeah. let us know. Well, let me tell you. I've I've got. I think what it is is I think I've just gotten lazier with my <laughs> shoes. You're on. just like ah, one's good enough. Growing up, it was always double knot because if not. <laughs> If not, I see what you um, did there. <laughs> that was completely on accident. But if not, <laughs> then your shoe, your laces are just falling apart, and then you're stepping yep. on them. And it's, yep. if it's probably raining out, and then your laces yep. are getting all fucked up, it's never good. But then in college, it's like, yeah, single knot, it's whatever, you know, yeah. just fucking whatever. <laughs> yeah. Now, I literally, I, I don't know if this is bad. I don't know if everybody does this. Like the shoe, the tennis shoes I currently like. Is everybody, do people call them tennis shoes? That's what I, I think. Call them. The, yeah, that's what sneakers, I Sneakers, you know, whatever. Yeah. My like everyday shoes that I kind of yeah. wear most of the time, they're like, um, they're not Nikes. What are they? I guess they're Reeboks, I think is what they are. Nice. Right. Um, I, of course, had to tie them the first time I, you know, put them on. And I don't think I've had the tie them since. Ah, you just like, on and I off. I slip so. them on now. Yeah. Yep, I do that as well. Yeah, so and it, the the one literally the first time I tied them single knot, it's held up. 
So take that, world. You know, no need for a double us, knot. Tried to put us in that double knot box. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's a great question for the viewers. That's going to really tell us a lot about our viewers' personalities, <laughs> yeah. too. Yes, yes. So I have two for today. First one. I'm going to talk about a topic that we normally don't on this show. Okay. So Jake Paul oh boy. had a fight that was supposed to be yesterday, as we're recording, against Haseem Rahman Jr., the son of former heavyweight champion Haseem Rahman. Uh, it got canceled like a week out. Um, there's been a lot of drama about it. You know, Jake Paul's mm-hmm. team is accusing Haseem Rahman's team of this or that. Haseem Rahman's team accusing Jake Paul's team of all this or that. And then you have, uh, what's his name from uh, Showtime? You know, the guy that Conor McGregor called the weasel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forget his name, but he's like, uh, I don't know what, he's an executive over at Showtime, I think. Like, a, I don't know if he's the promoter of Showtime Box. I don't know. I don't know what his title is. I'm sure I should have looked it up. But he was in particularly tweeting some very scathing things at Haseem Rahman and all this stuff. And everybody's like picking a side, like, <clears throat> you know, oh, Rahman was being super unprofessional. You know, Jake Paul put this hydration clause in to to force his opponent to like really have to cut like like be completely um compromised before the fight and like all this stuff all i'm going to say guys is i know me and dominic have not been you know super big proponents of this jake paul boxing stuff Mm -hmm. but if it's something you like that's great i mean to me it's the equivalent of like if you get really excited about like the celebrity game at the all-star weekend for NBA, mm-hmm. that's, that's to me comparable. Like to me, the Jake Paul, Jake Paul to boxing is the celebrity game to the NBA. Like okay. to me, it's not really the sport. You right. Know what I'm saying. Right. Um, it's basically, it's a circus. And all I'm going to say is to any executives involved in it, to anybody shocked by this cancellation and by all the the shit surrounding it, if you're going to support or follow or buy into a circus, don't be surprised when it starts to act like it. That sounds like a mic drop moment, but you have a second one. I do have a second one. Have you been seeing this uh, stuff about Mike Tyson on Twitter? With Hulu? Uh, Hulu. I saw him tweet about it, yeah. <laughs> Some very uh, bad things he had to say about Hulu. Um, so I did a little digging into it. So Hulu actually has a series. I don't know if it started or it's coming out. They're doing a show, kind of like Young Rock. You know? Okay. It's like a show, like a bi- biographical show about um, Mike Tyson's But it's with actors. This. Yes. Correct. Okay. I think it's like a TV show. Like it's, gotcha. I think it's literally supposed to, because I don't know, Young Rock's not Hulu, right? Is it's that, on NBC, yeah. Okay. So, um, apparently, Mike Tyson had also been himself working on a bi- some sort of biographical show or movie about mm-hmm. his life. And then Hulu comes in and does it. Um, apparently, they never you know, involved him. He never signed off on it. They never really wow. involved him in it. And then they actually went to, I can't, I think it was the WBC, which is of course one of the, um, 
the boxing bodies, you know, they're yeah. one of the, the titles that you can get in boxing. Um, and basically, if, if you were to believe what's being accused here by Tyson, they lied to the to them and saying that Tyson was like involved or signed off on it and stuff. And like the WBC like provided like real championship titles for the show to use and stuff like that. So um, just wanted to throw this out there because obviously, you know, if you obviously we're an MMA podcast, but like Mike Tyson's a legend. of Well, he sports. mentioned they came to Dana though, right? And he refused they to. Came, yeah. They asked Dana yeah. to like probably promote it on the, yeah. on or some fight nights and stuff. Um, and he refused to do it because I guess he reached out to Mike and Mike's yeah. like, hell no, that ain't right. my show. So it sounds like Hulu's doing some shady shit with this Tyson show. Um, I would just, I would just, you know, I'm not saying you're a bad person if you're going to watch it or whatever, but I'm just saying, you know, maybe don't like, just don't show it the kind of support that they're going to want you to. Cause it's not directly supporting Mike. Yeah. It just feels like really shady shit's going on there. Probably not even going to be all that accurate to his actual life since he wasn't even really included in it. That's interesting. Um, I just, it's kind of crazy to me that like, if you, if you write a book, you know, they have to get, if you're the author of that book and someone wants to make a movie or a TV show about it, they have to get you to like, the rights, over the rights. Yeah. But yet when it comes to someone's like personal story, you don't have to do that. I think. Wow. Now I'm sure there's some, I'm sure there's some hoops in there. Yeah. And there's probably some people that are really into this legal stuff that are just like scrap. Like they're like, Oh my God, these people are, this dude Noah is just so stupid. I'm like, he doesn't understand, (laughs) but no, it's just, to me, it's kind of crazy that like you can just do that about someone's own personal life and they don't have the same kind of rights they would if they, like if he wrote a book about his life and then they tried to, if they wanted to, do it based off that book they would have to get the rights but since it's not it's just wow his story yeah i did wow i'm glad you so dug just, into you it know, i saw a lot of people canceling their hulu subscriptions i'm not saying you gotta do that but i'm just saying you know maybe don't show a lot of support to this show wait for mike like, i was to come out yeah like i'm planning i was planning to watch it because i have hulu yeah. and i'd seen it no i'm not going to now you know mike tyson absolute legend so there you go. Just wanted to put that out there. But I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic Salee. We're the Below Average Joes, and we'll see you guys on Thursday.